Good morning, family. It's good to be with you. Few people have more authority and influence in a traditional Southern Baptist church than the chairman of deacons. Uh, in seminary, I remember hearing horror stories of how deacon chairmen fired pastors, split churches, and even forbid entry into a church building based on the color of a person's skin. And so when I first became a pastor at a little church, a little traditional Southern Baptist church in Louisville, Kentucky, it was quite important to me that I got on the good side, as best as I could, of the chairman of deacons there. Now, for the purposes of this story, I've changed the name of that individual. I had a name picked out, but my children requested that I call him Douglas. I don't think I can do that with a straight face, so we're going to do Douglas this morning. Sorry, kids. So, Douglas was the chairman of deacons at this particular Southern Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and my very first week on the job, he resigned. Now, how's that to get wind in your sails in your first week of pastoral ministry? What was even worse was when I talked to Douglas and found out why he resigned. And the reason, basically, that he gave me was that I was a Bible-denying liberal. Those are fighting words. If you know me, I hope by now you know that I believe the Bible is inerrant, infallible. It's the very Word of God. It is authoritative. It is sufficient. It is clear. It is necessary. It is our final authority for all faith and practice. And so I asked Douglas, what are you talking about? Why would you say that I'm a Bible-denying liberal? I've been called lots of things through the years. A lot of times it's halfway true, at least maybe more. But why this? And his answer was shocking. He said, you allowed a woman to speak in the business meeting. Now, judging by the gasps that you're trying so hard to control, you might be wondering the exact same thing that I was wondering when I heard that. Where in the world, or better said, where in the Bible does it say anything about a woman not being able to talk in a Southern Baptist business meeting? And he said, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, which we just read a moment ago. And it says, well, verse 11 and 12, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's the reason, Pastor. Now, here's the question I want us to ask and answer this morning. One of the questions. Was Douglas right? Does this passage prohibit a woman from making a motion or speaking in a church business meeting? Does it do more than that? Does it prohibit a woman from speaking at all in the gathered church? And if it doesn't mean those things, what does it mean? 
If you're not already there, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible or turn on your app and go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's going to help you a lot to have your Bible open in front of you so you can follow along as we walk through this text together. And let me just tell you, if you haven't already figured it out, this one's a doozy. So it's going to help you to follow along in your Bible. 1 Timothy was written about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a young pastor in a city called Ephesus, and he's writing with instructions about life in the church. And we know that because in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Uh, that's a really crucial point to remember because this letter is not about manhood and womanhood in society, but manhood and womanhood in the life of the church. Douglas was at least right on that point. This entire letter is about life in the church. And the big idea I hope to show you from our text this morning is that because men and women are equal and different, we have equal value and different responsibilities in the church. Now, we're going to do that by exploring two simple truths, how men and women are equal in the church and how men and women are different in the church. But before, before we do that, I want us to think for just a moment about how we need to respond to what we're going to hear. If you are a member of Pocosin Baptist Church or another gospel preaching church, this passage is for you. This is for you. This is giving you, whether you're a man or a woman, instructions for how to order your life within the local church. So as you hear God's Word taught this morning, I hope you'll think through, how do I apply this to my own membership in this church? If you are not a member of a local church, I want you to be challenged for just a moment here. You're coming ac across a passage that you really can't obey unless you're a part of a local church. That's actually pretty common throughout the New Testament. The New Testament assumes that if you're a follower of Jesus, you will be a part of the local church. So I would challenge you, I would encourage you, if, if you're here and you're not connected to a local church, then, then begin making steps to make that happen. And if you want to talk to someone after the service about how you can do that, I'd love to talk to you. All right, let's begin by considering how men and women are equal in the church. There are at least four ways that our text talks about these. It's not an exhaustive list, but at least four ways that I think we can see either explicit or implied in the text. First of all, both men and women can become church members. Now, that's good because we already announced that we're inviting some ladies into membership tonight. So, big sigh of relief, right? All right, look at chapter, that was, I'm trying to be funny, but never mind. Chapter 2, I love it how you just laugh when I say that. That's, you're, you're so kind. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, get this, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, in these first four verses, Paul is describing a little bit of what the local church should look like. It should look like a place where God's people gather and pray. If you're new to Pocosin Baptist Church, perhaps one of the things that struck you one of the first few times you visited was that we pray a lot in our gatherings. Sometimes we pray some pretty long prayers in our gatherings. That is by design. That is intentional because we have here a picture of what the local church does when they gather. And one of the things that they do is they pray and they pray for leaders, including leaders that we disagree with. Pray for them. And so when we gather, we, we pray. And Paul also describes the local church as a people that are marked by peace, quiet lives, godliness, and dignity. And then he says that God desires all sorts of people, not just men, all people, men and women, to be saved and welcomed into this community of faith. Now, if you read the New Testament with an eye for it, I think you'll notice that there are women, church members, all throughout the New Testament. Ladies like Mary, Tabitha, Rhoda, Lydia, Priscilla, Phoebe, Euodia, Syntyche, Nympha, and many, many more. Now, ladies, this first point may seem for some of you like some sort of a cheap consolation prize. Oh, great. Thanks, pastor. I get to be a member. But let me remind you what membership means. Here's what we say in our, our statement of faith here at Pocosin Baptist Church. The church is governed by God's word, which teaches that elders are given to oversee the church, deacons are to serve the church, and members are to guard the church's membership, doctrine, unity, and purity. Maybe one, one image to help us think through the way that these different offices in the church function. Elders are kind of like the steering wheel, right? We're, we're the ones that are kind of basically setting a direction. Which lane are we going to drive in in a church? Where are we headed? We're kind of setting the direction. We ought to be doing it in accordance with the scriptures, but we're the steering wheel. Deacons, these are kind of like the shock absorbers, right? Lots of roads have bumps and potholes, and, and the deacons, when they're functioning well, they're serving the church so that we remain unified, and, and the little nitty-gritty, really important things in church life that need to get done, they get done because of the faithful work of our deacons. And members are like the gas and the emergency brake, or the regular brake. Now, I don't know about you, but when I did my uh, driver's ed training, I, in Ohio, we had to have training with a certified driving instructor sitting in the passenger seat, and it was the weirdest experience to be driving in the car, and all of a sudden, the vehicle starts slowing down, and I had nothing to do with it. I had a brake pedal on his side, right? All right, that's what the church membership is like. The elders, we're set in the direction, we're going this way, and the membership is like, nope. Just think about something like a portable baptistry a few years ago. Members, if you're here, you know what I'm talking about. I can mention a few other meetings that were also fun, but we'll save those for later. Here, here's the point. Members, you are the ultimate authority 
earthly authority in the local church. It is not the elders. Elders have authority of counsel. We have authority to direct and lead and guide, but the authority of command, the authority that wields the keys of the kingdom, the ultimate authority to press the brakes or the gas and the life of the church is the members, and that's men and women. Sorry to my friend Douglas. This is big. This is not a minor thing. This is a big thing. And by the way, this is a perfect opportunity for a commercial because tonight just so happens to be our quarterly members meeting. And I would strongly encourage you, men and women, if Pocosin Baptist Church is your home, you ought not to take lightly the responsibility that you have to engage with this church in these meetings. Come for the chili and stay for the business. Maybe that should be our new members meeting tagline. I hope you'll be here tonight. If Pocosin Baptist Church is your home, this is an important part of how we faithfully live out what membership looks like. Men, women, you're all a part of this. If you're here and you're, you're kind of feeling out Pocosin Baptist Church, you're in the membership process, I would just encourage you to be here just to look under the hood a little bit. Now, I already told our folks in our new members class this morning, we're voting on our incoming members at the very beginning of our meeting. So they're not going to look under the hood until they're already in. And if they see a problem, guess what? It's their problem too. Now they've got to help us fix it. But for those of you that haven't yet committed to the membership process, you get this inc incredible opportunity to look under the hood and see what goes on here to decide if you want to be a part of it before you make that decision. Members meetings are important because membership is important. All right, second way men and women are equal in the church is that both men and women can repent and believe. Both men and women can repent and believe. And we covered that in depth a few weeks ago when we studied Galatians 3.28. And I told you what it means to be men and women in Christ. I told you then how nearly every major religion in world history historically has limited access to women. If you want to go back, you can listen to that sermon from a few weeks ago for specific examples. But in Christianity, the, the ground at the foot of the cross has always been level. Men and women are equally called by Christ to repent and believe in the gospel. And that's made clear in verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, there is one God. And there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for who? For all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And now notice Jesus gives himself as a ransom, not for men only, but for all who repent and believe. Ladies, you are not brought into the new covenant community by grabbing onto the coattails of your husband's. That's glorious good news. Jesus repeatedly invites women to follow him. Look at the interactions that Jesus has with women in the Gospels. And he invites anyone, man, woman, boy, girl, to repent and believe and follow him. Now, this means that more important than you agreeing with every little thing that I, I'll teach today about men and women in the church, more important than that is you actually repenting and believing in the gospel. That's the heart of this church. 
the heart of this church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's that gospel? Uh, You can remember it by remembering four C's. First, God is a creator. He's holy. He's righteous. He made this world and everything in it. And yet, humanity sinned against God. And as a result, the curse of sin has affected all of us. Our relationship with God is cursed. Our relationship with each other, they're cursed. And the entire Old Testament is this big picture of of the people of God trying to obey the law of God and failing over and over and over again until God sent his son, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah who lived a life without sin, died a sinner's death, and rose from the dead. He did this as our substitute in our place so that whoever believes in Jesus can have everlasting life. Let me ask you, friend, have you responded to that good news? Have you turned from your sins and and trusted in Christ? That is available to every single one of you, men, women, boys, and girls, can repent and believe the gospel. Also, both men and women are gifted to serve. After reminding them of the gospel in verses 5 and 6, Paul says in verse 7, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now, Paul's ministry, Paul's service was unique and unrepeatable. An apostle was a a specific office in the early church for a limited period of time until the scriptures were complete. But apostles weren't the only ones that were called and gifted to serve in the local church. The apostle Paul, in, in another letter to the Corinthians, he says this about serving in the church. He says, now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice that the Holy Spirit gives all God's people gifts to serve the church, not just men, but women too. Uh, Just as an aside, If you're a member of Pocosin Baptist Church, you have been given gifts to serve this church. Are you using your gifts to serve this church? Maybe you say, well, I don't know what my gifts are, so I don't know where to serve. Well, we'll just put you in nursery to start. (laughs) Kind of kidding. Listen, I would not spend a ton of time trying to figure out how you're gifted to serve. I would say start serving and your gifts will become evident. What you won't find in the New Testament is a gift of nursery or a gift of safety team or a gift of passing out bulletins. You find gifts like giving and encouragement and mercy and exhortation. It's not so much the task, but the way that you perform the task. So whatever task you're willing to get involved in, jump in, PBC member, member, and use your gifts to serve this church. Often, I fear, we get caught up on what a woman can't do in the life of the church instead of looking at all the things women can do and must do in the church. Here's a simple rule. Unless 
the Bible prohibits a woman from a particular kind of ministry in the church, we should gladly open the door for her to do that ministry if she has the gifts and the desire to do so. And somebody might reply, and here's where things get awkward. What about women being deacons? I did not expect that. <laughs> now, I will say, if a deacon is functioning like deacons traditionally functioned in Southern Baptist churches for many years as a position of overall authority in the life of the church, I would say no. A woman shouldn't be a deacon if that's the way deacons function. But that's not the way deacons function in the Bible, and it's not the way that deacons function at Pocosin Baptist Church. Now, if you've been at PBC for a while, you know that this is not the first time we've talked about this issue. I brought it up with the search team in 2016 before I became your pastor, and they still hired me, so it's their fault. <laughs> Not really. Not really. But you're stuck with me now. We studied it again in 2018 as we examined what the Bible says about elders. We studied it again in 2021 as the elders considered leading the church to recognize female deacons. The elders agreed on a statement that we still agree with regarding female deacons that was presented at a members meeting in December 2021. If you have a bulletin, you can find a copy of that statement there. If you're a member here, you probably received an email from me a couple of days ago with that statement. But after hearing from some of our members, we decided not to vote on that statement because we feared that it would threaten the unity of the church. Our convictions have not changed, but we did believe and we still believe that the unity of the church is more important than a specific title. Here's an analogy maybe that will help you. I think this is an area in PBC life, I'll tell you why in a minute. I think this is an area in PBC life where we have a little bit of lettuce in our teeth, okay? You got lettuce in your teeth, you want somebody to tell you that? Yeah, I think so, right? We want somebody to tell you. You got lettuce in your teeth. Do you want them to tell you that when you're on the operating table fighting for your life? Probably not. Not very important, right? So when it came to this particular issue, PBC wasn't, it's not like we were fighting for our lives. And yet the elders sensed this could hurt our unity. Our unity, the unity of this church is, is more important than getting some lettuce out of the teeth. And so we, we paused a little bit. And yet, I think, I think it's still important to remind you sometimes, Pocosin Baptist Church, you got lettuce in your teeth. I love you, but you got lettuce in your teeth. Now, here's why I think that this is a lettuce in the teeth sort of issue. At best, if you remember our compromise, it was to refer to men as deacons and ladies as coordinators. At best, at best, I think it's kind of silly. Honestly, you, you, you take a lady doing the exact same job as a man in the church, and she's screened the same way by the elders. She's voted on the same way by the membership, doing the same sort of work. Maybe she's even singing, anything you can do, I can do better. She's doing the same work. 
And yet, we call her coordinator instead of deacon. I think that's a little silly, to be honest. At worst, at worst, I think that this has the potential to be committing the sin of partiality, which the Bible condemns explicitly in James chapter 2. The sin of partiality is treating one group of people different from another group of people without any biblical grounds to do so. So as the pastor, one of the pastors at Pocosin Baptist Church, I long for and pray for the day when we are ready to lean into these convictions that you can read about in your bulletin about women serving as deacons. Not because I'm woke or feminist or a Bible-denying liberal. I think most of you know me better than that. But because I, I want our church to only draw lines where the Bible does. That's so important to me. Yeah, let's draw lines. And there are plenty of lines, church, that we, we must draw, and we have drawn them. And we have said, this is a line we cannot cross. Yes, all day. But let's make sure that we only draw the lines that we're called to from the Scriptures. I want us to be a church where women are celebrated in every, and recognized in every way that the Bible authorizes us to do so. And yet, we talked about this as elders last Sunday in our elders meeting. All of us, all of us remain committed to the unity of PBC, even above this. We think this is important to talk about. We think it's important to think about, we think it's important to point out every now and then, not every Sunday, not, hopefully not even every month or every year, but every now and then, there's lettuce in your teeth. Don't forget, there's lettuce in your teeth. And yet, the unity of this church is more important even than that. Whether or not you agree with me about female deacons, I hope you do agree that God has gifted men and women to serve and we should recognize and equip ministry, women for faithful ministry and service wherever the Scriptures authorize us to do so. That's my heart. Right, here's a fourth way that men and women are equal in the church. Both men and women are tempted to sin. Until Jesus comes and makes us perfect, both men and women will be tempted to sin in the church, which means... Both men and women need to be corrected by the Scriptures. But get this, we are equally tempted to sin, but men and women, we are often tempted in different ways. I think you see that in the text in verses 8 through 10. Paul writes, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The men in Paul's day were more tempted, or more tempted, sorry, they were more tempted to abandon prayer in the church. I think that's still true today. Notice, Paul is not saying that only men can pray in the church. 
You read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, Paul makes it clear that women were expected to pray in the life of the church, and that's one reason why women pray every Sunday in our gatherings here at PBC. But Paul is addressing a temptation that is common even for PBC men, and that is, I don't want to do that. As you know, we have a sign-up sheet sort of deal to get people to sign up for prayers of praise, prayers of confession, and the ladies' list seems to fill up twice as fast as the men's list does. And the group, we, we, we actually, uh, maybe I won't say that, never mind, I'll just stop. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. The men in Paul's day, the men in Paul's day were also, this is what happens when I just walk away from my manuscript get myself in trouble. The men in Paul's day were more tempted to anger and aggression. I think that's still true today. He says, men, pray. Men, don't be angry. Don't quarrel. We're pretty good at masking our anger in public on Sundays, men, but it surfaces throughout the week at our job, on the highway, or with our family. So to paraphrase John Owen, men, be killing your anger or your anger will be killing you and perhaps even those that you love the most. It's a temptation for men. Temptation for women in Paul's day was to dress inappropriately in the church. And I think that's still true in many churches today. As a general rule, I think women are more likely to be tempted to dress extravagantly or immodestly. And Paul is not telling women in these verses to dress in frumpy, unattractive clothing. But he's saying, don't dress in a way that's drawing unhealthy attention to yourself. I want you to look at the text carefully. The principle is in the first part of verse 9. They're to to dress with modesty and self-control. That's the principle. And then he gives a cultural example. Things like braided hair, gold, pearls, costly attire. In that day, in that church, for a woman to show up on Sunday dressed like that would be saying, everybody look at me. Now, I don't think it necessarily that example applies today in the same way. But the principle, dressing with self-control and modesty, that certainly applies, doesn't it, ladies? We ought to dress, ladies and men, but I think ladies are more tempted here. We ought to dress in a way not to draw all the attention to me, look at me, but to dress in a way that draws people to Christ. That doesn't mean wearing a Jesus t-shirt every Sunday either. Let them see your countenance. Let them see your smile. Let them see you and not just your body. Thankfully, men and women have equal value in the church. But because men and women are equal and different, we must also consider, number two, how men and women are different in the church. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 15, we learn the one way, the one way, I believe men and women are called to live differently in the church. Before we examine the text, you need to know that these are some of the most hotly debated verses in the entire New Testament over the last 50 years. Uh, One example of that, um, this big fat book, 400 pages, Women in the Church, 
This entire book is written only about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. This is just one book out of many books that are all just addressing this one passage. This is a deeply controversial passage, so please, church family, fasten your seatbelts. Since the advent of feminism, there has been basically three main approaches to this passage. We've got a chart on the screen I want you to see. There's the critical feminist approach. Basically says the Bible is traditionalist. It's patriarchalism oppresses women. The Bible is wrong. In the middle, there's the evangelical feminist approach, which says the Bible is feminist. It's egalitarianism. It's equality liberates women. The Bible is right. The third, maybe more conservative approach Evangelical traditionalist says the Bible is traditionalist. Its advocacy of loving leadership lets women thrive. The Bible is right. Now, which of those three views are correct? I think we can easily rule out the first option, can't we? If we believe that the Bible is without error, if we believe the Bible is the Word of God, we cannot accept any philosophy that says that the Bible is wrong which leads to either the second or third option. Evangelical feminists, sometimes called egalitarian, or evangelical traditionalists, sometimes called complementarianism. Men and women complement each other. We're equal and different. I want to be really clear here. I think there are many Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians who embrace the second position. But at PBC, we believe that it's a grave error that mishandles the Word of God. Now, here's why I think that second position can be dangerous. The way you have to interpret the Scriptures to come up with that position, the second position, evangelical feminism, the way you have to interpret the Scriptures is the exact same way that liberals have twisted the Bible to argue for the legitimization of same-sex marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism. It's the same, the, the technical word is hermeneutic. It's an approach to interpretation. It's the same approach. And I, I think a clear evidence of that is that if you look at the churches and the denominations that that resisted or reinterpreted 1 Timothy 2 in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, by the 90s and the 2000s, they were affirming same-sex marriage and homosexuality in the church. It's only a slippery slope argument if there's not really a slippery slope. But I think here there really is one. So I think this is dangerous. So I want to consider with you verses 11 through 15 from the evangelical traditionalist position or complementarianism. I think it's going to help if we break down 11 to 15 into two sections. First, in verses 11 and 12, there is one restriction on women. And then in verses 13 and 13 through 15, there are three reasons for that restriction. 
Let's begin with one restriction for women in the church. Look at verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, before we get at the quietly and the submissiveness part, isn't it interesting and significant that Paul says he wants women to learn? It wouldn't necessarily be part of that culture in that day. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is regularly teaching women, investing in women. Think of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet like a disciple would sit at the feet of his rabbi. Ladies, we want you to learn. We don't, this is not about keeping women ignorant and uneducated. No, I want wise, smart, intelligent ladies in this church. I want you to be in Sunday school and Bible studies and take seminary classes and online training so that you can know God's Word. I want you to know it really well. It's a beautiful and a glorious thing. We want women to learn. But why does Paul say they must learn quietly with all submissiveness? The Bible scholar Robert Yarbrough says that the call then is not for total verbal silence from women, but for them to exhibit a peaceful and gentle attitude in their task of learning. This is not saying, ladies, you can't talk in a business meeting or you can't talk in church but have a heart posture that says, I'm going to to learn and give myself over to learn. Now, obviously, this is something that men have to do too, right? This is something that all of you do every week for 45 to 85 minutes. I said 85 because I'm not quite sure how long this sermon's going to go today. All of you, most of you, learning quietly with all submissiveness this morning. Well done. This is something that all of us to do, need to do, and yet he singles out women because there is a small way in which women must do this in a way that men don't. Because sometimes a man is the one preaching in the gathered church, while I believe a woman should not. I think that's the point that Paul makes in verse 12. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. It's widely agreed that verse 12 is the most controversial verse in all of Paul's writing, maybe in all the New Testament. So I'm just going to ask you to lower your expectations a little bit on how well I'm going to explain this to you. I'm going to do my best. This is a very controversial verse. I think it's helpful if we just examine and zoom in on some of the words Paul uses in verse 12. First, he says, teach. A woman shouldn't teach. What does he mean by teach? If you remember the second week in this series, we said we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. All right? So there's plenty of Scriptures that talk about women teaching. For example, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Older women likewise are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So obviously it's appropriate for women to teach other women. In chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says to, Titus, or to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. 
And if you read 2 Timothy, you'll discover that Timothy learned his doctrine from his mother and his grandma. Obviously, it's appropriate for women to teach children. In the book of Acts, we learn about it, this, this preacher named Apollos, and he's a great preacher, fiery preacher. People love his preaching, but his theology is a little off. And so the Bible tells us in Acts 18, Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, notice her name is mentioned first. She's probably the dominant personality, maybe even the wiser person in the couple. Priscilla and Aquila, when they heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the word of God more accurately. So obviously it's appropriate for a woman to teach a man even something like theology in certain contexts. And let me just tell you, I have learned a lot from godly women. The books that I've read and from the people, many in this church, that have taught me through the years. Obviously, Colossians 3.16 tells us that women are to be involved in the everyday average teaching ministry within the life of the church, that the word of Christ will in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is for all Christians, not just men. All of us are called to teach in this way. So what kind of teaching should a woman not do? I think the answer becomes clear when you look at the word authority in verse 12. Paul says a woman shouldn't exercise authority over a man. I don't think he means that a woman can never have authority over a man. If that were true, if a female police officer pulls you over, what should you do? Just keep driving. Now, don't do that. Police chief's in here. He'll get you. Don't do that. Because we understand that there are spheres in culture where it's totally fine and appropriate for a woman to lead and we're foolish and wrong to not submit to a female superior. That's not what this verse is talking about. When Paul talks about exercising authority, he's talking about a specific kind of authority. I believe he's talking about the authority of an elder, a pastor in a church. I think that because... There's one other verse in 1 Timothy where Paul mentions both teaching and authority. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to it. He says, let the elders, he's talking about pastors, who rule well, there's, there's authority, be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is the job of elders, to teach and exercise Authority. So when Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, that a woman shouldn't teach or exercise authority, here's the one thing I think he means. A woman should not function as an elder. That's what he means. Now, I chose those words really carefully because some would say that what Paul means is a woman shouldn't be a pastor or an elder, but it's okay for her to sometimes preach the Sunday morning sermon, functioning like an elder in the church. But notice, Paul doesn't just say in verse 12, a woman can't be a pastor. He says a woman shouldn't do the things that God has uniquely called a pastor to do. 
The point is, the one prohibition, ladies, the one thing that I see that God's word prohibits for you in the life of the local church is functioning as a pastor. Paul doesn't prohibit women from being deacons or from making a motion in a church business meeting or from talking in church. The one prohibition for a woman in the local church is that she must not function as a pastor. To which you, I think, should rightly ask, why? And thankfully, Paul answers that question. Consider with me three reasons for this restriction. Three reasons for this restriction. An evangelical feminist will look at verse 12 and she'll argue, or he'll argue, that the reason Paul restricted women from functioning as elders had something to do with the historical context in Ephesus. Maybe women weren't allowed to teach because they weren't able to be educated. Or maybe these women couldn't teach because they were teaching false doctrine. Or, or maybe these women couldn't exercise authority because they were usurping authority from men without authorization from the church. The problem with all those interpretations is the Bible doesn't say any of those things. Instead, when Paul defends his argument in verse 12, he doesn't go to the historical context in Ephesus, but he goes all the way back to God's design in the beginning. So let me give you three reasons. Number one, a woman shouldn't function as a pastor because God uniquely designed men to lead. Look at verse 13. Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul's point, hear me, is not that men are better because men came first. If order implied superiority, then men, we would be worse than dirt because God created the dirt before he created you. Order doesn't imply superiority but the order of creation does tell us something about the purpose of creation. God created Adam, and then he created Eve to come alongside Adam as his helper. God, because God has uniquely designed men to lead. God has created men to be sacrificial heads and women to be submissive helpers to their husbands. It doesn't mean, ladies, that you shouldn't or can't lead anywhere. Some of you are phenomenal leaders, and we want you to lead in many areas. But when it comes to the office of pastor in the church, God wants qualified men, qualified, not any man, qualified men to serve as pastors, because those who are created to be sacrificial leaders at home should also be sacrificial leaders in the church. Second reason. Verse 14, ignoring God's design leads to destruction. Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. A transgressor. Now we have to think really, really carefully about verse 14 because some of them looked at it and they said, wait a minute, Adam wasn't deceived. What is, does that mean that uh, he's saying women are more gullible? more likely to be deceived. Uh, some have taught that. 
that's a major error. That's not at all what Paul is saying. If Paul thought that women were more gullible or more likely to be deceived than men, then why would he tell women to teach other women? Let the gullible people teach the other gullible people. No, it doesn't make any sense. It's not what he's saying. What Paul's doing is, is he's helping us. He's taking us back to the fall. He's not saying that Adam wasn't deceived at all, but Adam wasn't approached by the snake. He's not saying that only the woman became a transgressor because both Adam and Eve ate the fruit and sinned against God. Here's what he's saying. When Adam and Eve fell, God's design for order in the universe was absolutely overturned. Here's God's design. God is the head. He's authority. Underneath God, He has created a husband to lead His wife, and together they lead creation, including serpents. But guess what happens in Genesis 3? A serpent is telling a wife how to lead her husband against God. The whole thing is upside down. That's the point in verse 14. Third and final reason a woman shouldn't function as pastor is because God's unique design for women is glorious. I know, ladies, I know, I know it's easy and perhaps you're tempted to be offended by the things that the Bible says you must not do. But let me remind you, there is something that the Bible says a man cannot do. This isn't politically correct, what I'm about to tell you, but it is universally true, categorically true, always and forever true, and will always be true. A man cannot bear children. Now, uh, you want a statement to fly against the culture? There's one for you. I don't care what surgeries you have, what clothes you wear. A man cannot bear children. The glorious gift of childbearing is part of God's unique design for women, and it's glorious, and it's good. Look at verse 15. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> Here's what Paul doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that you will be saved in the way we normally talk about 